0: Well, it's the Christmas season. Uh, however, as you can tell, our message today is about worry. Yeah, and so I decided, well, I better wear something Christmassy. I did that, uh, but then I had I thought again, and you know, worry is part of the Christmas season, so it all fits. Some of you may be a little worried about my title today. What, be worried? I can see some smiles. Well, let me put you at ease uh, and confirm your suspicions. <laughs> All right, some of you know who this guy is. This is Alfred E. Newman. And uh, he adorned the cover of Mad Magazine, I think, uh, since, well, the mid-19th or 20th century. Uh, and uh, I grew up on Mad Magazine. Now, I'm not commending it for the benefit of any children here. It's a waste of time. But the fact that I read this a lot may explain some things about me. All right. So, but there's, there's a little bit of history here. You see, this guy, this face, has appeared in periodicals since the uh, 1870s. Let me give you an example here. I think you've got it. And so uh, this is an earlier one. Uh, and uh, when Mad Magazine wanted a poster child, they used this image or something like this. But then they, they wanted something more. And so they commissioned an artist to come in and put something in that face that was more than goofiness. It was something behind what appears that tells you that he knows something that maybe we don't. So let's go back, oops, yeah. Look at those eyes, all right? He's got some reason for saying what? Me worry, all right? Well, uh, I can't pass by this opportunity here. You see, Reading Mag Magazine had a, a benefit. You could keep up on current events. It might be a skewed version for sure, but they were current. Nothing passed by the the folks who put this magazine together that wasn't commented on. All satirical, uh, a bit irreverent from time to time, Uh, but uh, you could know what was going on. So let's take a look at some of the more current images that have adorned the cover of the magazine uh, so you can get an idea about this particular thing here. There you see. Old Mitt had a problem with percentages back in the 2012 election. And how about this guy? Uh, yeah, he's got, uh, what, me, worry about the economy? Or who can forget? Old W. All right. Laughs, okay. All right. We, we have actually have a passage today we're going to deal with. So, so okay, that's your fun. Let's move on and look at it today. Uh, we're in uh, a, uh, a forever series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're in Matthew 6, starting at verse 25, where it says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? It's a long passage, so we're going to have to keep going. O you of little faith. Okay, now let's review here a little bit. Matthew 6 is all about warnings or instructions to Christians about how to relate to their father. And that includes what Christians do in public and in private. And last month we talked about what they do in private, like prayer and doing good and fasting and personal devotion. But life is more than what we do in private. We've got jobs, we've got families, we've got in relationships with people. Uh, in other words, we are in the world. We're not in monasteries or off like hermits. But starting in verse 19, where we picked up last month, through the end of the chapter, Jesus reminds us that the big problem, the big danger in our situation as believers is a thing called worldliness or love of the world. The antidote is, is keeping our focus, as we studied last time, a single eye, a clear eye on God and the things that are unseen, as strange as that may sound. This first section deals in verse 19, deals with putting our trust in things on the earth, laying up treasures on earth, and instead we should be laying them up in heaven. But the second section that we're going to start with today deals with this worldliness from a different perspective, not so much laying up treasures on earth, but about worrying about them. Uh, So we're alerted to the fact that you can avoid the problem of laying up treasures on earth, but still be guilty of worldliness by worrying about that stuff. Uh, The real danger here is being obsessed with things that are seen, the things that belong to this time and this world alone. But this is how Satan and sin works. He is so, so subtle. It doesn't matter to him what form the temptation takes, whether it's laying up treasures on heaven or worrying. It's all good to him. Uh, His ultimate objective is for us to focus on earthly things not on God. And you may be proud that you have not allowed earthly treasures to come in the front door when you find that Satan has come in the back door with this whole problem of anxiety about these earthly things. He's content to distract us either way. Jesus himself exemplified a proper response when he was tempted by Satan three times in the wilderness. So just like when talking about laying up treasures, Jesus here not only gives us a command, but also arguments and reasons that we need because he knows how frail we are and he loves us enough to help us understand. He does this with a variety of uh, saying the same things about looking clearly at the unseen rather than the seen, of serving God rather than mammon, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he gets there by with variations with three therefores. Now, the word therefore signifies a logical conclusion. Jesus is a great teacher, and he uses the art of repetition to get across what he's trying to say in slightly different ways, repeated several times. So we see here in verse 25, it says, therefore, I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life, what you eat, what you drink, about your body, what you put on. And then later, which we'll study hopefully next month, in verse 31, therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? And then verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Now, many of you may be familiar with the King James version of the phrase, take no thought. Now, the King James Version was introduced in 1611, near the end of the life of William Shakespeare. And if you look at Shakespeare's plays, what you'll see is that the phrase taking thought is exactly what we're talking about here, worry and anxiety. That's that's what it meant back then, just like it is in the modern translations. However, the Greek incorporates another concept. It talks about being divided or separated or distracted by something. So the concept here is that of distraction from God, like double vision that looks at two things at once and never really sees anything. Well, now, this is the Christmas season, and so some of you probably are going to have guests. And hospitality is a good thing, is it not? Okay. In fact, Scripture encourages it. But let me ask you this question. Have any of you ever ever been so focused on hospitality and getting ready or caring for your guests that you really didn't have much opportunity to enjoy your guests or pay much attention to them? Okay? That's me. All right. I'm, I imagine there's some hosts and hostesses out there who have suffered from that as well. Uh, we see a great example of this in Luke. Ten, where sisters Martha and Mary are entertaining their special guest Jesus, and Martha's all about hospitality. She's all over the house trying to get things fixed up and ready, and uh, everything perfect for Jesus. But sweet Mary is just sitting there smiling at the feet of Jesus, doing nothing, and this really ticks Martha off. So she goes to Jesus and asks him, "Why haven't you? Why have you allowed her to do this?" And his response is, "Martha." Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. In other words, she's laid up treasures in heaven. You see, Mary had a single, a clear eye and focused on the most important thing. She wasn't distracted by worldly opinions or conventions, even something as good as hospitality. Jesus wasn't saying to Martha, your hospitality is wrong, simply that there's a subtle danger in being distracted from the main objective in our lives by the care of or the anxiety over worldly things. In short, these things tend to draw our attention away from God. Now, this is a concept that's hard for many to grasp. Some have understood that to live by faith means that we should make no provision or take no thought for ourselves, our family, or our future. That we should just pray to God and then sit there and do nothing. Uh, I was teaching at a pastor's conference a month ago in Haiti. And we had a workshop I did on treasures and money, which may seem a bit insensitive, Of me to teach about these things to impoverished people. However, they do have some money and they have a few possessions, and these were biblical principles that apply to everybody, and they accepted it as such. But eventually one, and this is a lot of back and forth in this, it was really interesting. Uh, One pastor brought up a passage out of Luke 9, where Jesus is sending out the disciples and gave them power over demons and the power to heal. It says there in verse 2, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and do not take two tunics. And I'm guessing his point was, isn't that what we do? Well, it is true that this account appears in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, and it's also true that at this time, Jesus was granting them special powers for a special mission. The point here is that people can sometimes take God's word and misconstrue it to stretch it out beyond what the context of what is intended for and if you look at the context of what Jesus says in Matthew 6, not to mention the rest of the teaching in the New Testament, you can understand what it means to take no thought. Consider the bird argument that Jesus himself uses. It's true that birds neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and it's true that the Heavenly Father feeds them. But it is not true that they simply sit in their nest and, by faith, wait for God to drop the, bur- the, the worms in. Okay? Um... In fact, the word is filled with exhortations to sow and reap, or commends the ant for preparing uh, for the winter in due season. The problem with the I live by faith, not work approach to life is a little thing called the curse in Genesis 3. Uh, It pretty much consigns mankind to living by the sweat of his brow, a.k.a. hard work. Now, Paul found some of these folks in Thessalonica uh, who who considered themselves extra-spiritual, and they proclaimed that the Lord's return was imminent. So the spiritual thing to do was to stop working and simply wait for him. Okay, we're in 2 Thessalonians 3. Paul's response, Oh, you don't want to work? Fine. Then you don't eat. Now, Taking into account the distinction between those who will not work as opposed to those who cannot work, isn't that a simple solution for our welfare, pro- welfare problem? Just think about it. And the Haitians understood that very well because they don't have any government support. Paul also takes up the theme of not taking thought in Philippians 4 where he says, do not be anxious about Anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So in light of Paul's own teaching, he does not condone idleness, nor does he encourage simply praying and sitting there with your hands outstretched in expectation. No, this is a warning about worry and anxiety, which is our tendency. In fact, worry is one of the most natural things that we do. And if I may say so, this is most evident with women. Now, was that a sexist comment? (laughs) Well, um, if sexism is unjustifiably distinguishing the genders, between the genders, I would contend that our common experience verifies this statement because truth is a legal defense to a charge of slander, okay? All right. I would add that the basis of the claim I just made, is found in the nature of the feminine spirit because women are natural nurturers and they're concerned about those under their care, whether it's for safety or for health or for whatever. And so they naturally are more vulnerable to worry in this particular area. Men, as natural protectors and providers, are not immune from worry either. Just Perhaps show it less. So if there is a difference between the genders, it is because, hold your seats, God made us different. Okay? Now think about the alternative. Would you really want us to be the same? I say, viva la difference. Right? Amen? (laughs) Amen. All right. Bottom line here, all of us, All of us worry to some extent, and worry can be born out of our care and concern for others. But here Jesus warns us against being controlled by, weighed down by, enslaved by worry or fear. He knows it's part of our nature, so he repeats the warning three times. He starts with a general command, and then he gives us reasons for keeping that command, just like he did when we discussed treasures. The command is we're not to worry, be anxious about what we eat, drink, clothing, Basic needs of life. This is comprehensive. It applies to all mankind. He has given us life, each with distinct personalities, and we live our lives through these earth suits. He then gives us reasons or arguments to support the command, just like when we discussed uh, treasures. Not because he's obligated to give us a reason, but because he loves us enough to help us understand why this is so important to our existence. Jesus uses an argument called, in logic, a fortiori. A fortiori. From the greater, from the stronger, impliedly to the weaker. Uh, So let me give you an example here. Uh, If I can prove to you that um, 3 sixteenths ths is shorter than seven thirty seconds on a yardstick, and I've done the math. It's true. Okay, then it's easy for me to prove to you that three 16ths is less than a yard. You get it? All right. Well, how about this one? You got to be a little older. To remember this? This is Mikey, and when they rolled out. Life breakfast cereal. They had to come up with something to get people to try it. And so they had a commercial with a couple of older siblings looking at the new cereal that mom brought home from the grocery store and wondering whether they should try it. And then they look and see their solution. There's little Mikey, the toddler, who doesn't like anything people put in front of him. So they slide the bowl over to Mikey, and Mikey garps it up. So they figure, if Mikey likes it, it must be good. Got it? That's an a ah, fortiori argument. So Jesus effectively says here, listen, consider this before you become anxious. Isn't your life more important than food? Isn't your body more important than the clothing you wear? Did you create yourself? I didn't think so. And if the Father gave you life itself, the greater gift, Do you really doubt by your worry and your fretting that he's going to deny himself and his own creation of its very existence? Sure, we must sow, reap, gather, and barge. We must provide for our own because God has decreed that's the lot of mankind. But Jesus promises us that there will always be enough to keep us going, guaranteed until our purpose here is completed. Paul says in uh, Romans 8 he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously how will he not also with us with him graciously give us all things now that's an a fortiori argument did you see it well if not maybe this will help If God would sacrifice his own son as payment for my sins, who am I to insult him by worrying whether he will provide the basic needs of my life? This takes us to a what we call a first principle. It seems so obvious, and yet it is, for, it is forgotten by most of us in our crazy, confused world. The vital truth is that all we have in this world is from God. It's all a gift. So let me ask you some serious questions here. How often do you thank God for the gift of life? Is it possible that you have a Sunday view that you share with people around us that does not match your Monday view? Has the world affected your belief in this area? Because some scientists say otherwise. So do any of us reserve a latent or hidden belief that there may be a better explanation? Does the scientific Explanation dampen our thankfulness, perhaps? Consider this. Scientists, and the rest of us, can observe and measure certain things. So it is possible to objectively know something. In other words, I think you know right now that I'm up here babbling on. You know that, okay? Unless we're all crazy. You know that. But there are other things... That we cannot see or measure because they're not physical. Okay? Maybe it's emotion. Maybe it's information or intelligence. Or for us, maybe it's spiritual forces. Still, there are other things like events long ago where there are no eyewitnesses still living and we have to rely upon the accounts of other people. Or perhaps before man, there were no witnesses. Okay, well, scientists call their explanations for the things that are not seen, for whatever reason, things that cannot be measured, theories. Okay? With me? So, the thing called macroevolution, the transformation of one species into another, which has never been observed and is not found in the fossil record, is referred to as a theory. But many, perhaps even people here, have been affected by this theory in their view of life. In other words, they become distracted by experts in lab coats or with a British accent. The Bible calls this being respecters of persons. Now let me ask you this, what mental process must one exercise in order to believe A theory is fact. If it cannot be observed and measured objectively, is it not of necessity faith? Okay? When we consider, though, the origin of the universe and how we got here, most scientists agree that the evidence points to a beginning. And this is borne out not only in what we see in the expanding universe, but also the theory of relativity. Both require a beginning. So scientists have have pretty much accepted that there was a beginning. However, when you ask scientists how or by what cause the universe began, they have no theory, they have no explanation for a first cause. So there's speculation, but nothing that could approach a cogent theory It's simply wild guesses. So, it seems to me we've got two choices here. We may hold as true a belief or faith in a random, undirected, purposeless existence, the origin of which has no explanation. Or, we may believe that we are here for a purpose. God created an intricate world. He set mankind in it, and he gave us all we need. Not just to survive, but to live with life. Live life with a purpose. Both views require faith. So, an objective question is, which view better matches reality? A subjective question would be, which view, under which view would you rather live your life? Okay. If you would, turn to 1 Timothy 6, if you can. And in his omniscience, God knew that we would be facing this choice. Near the end of his first letter to his spiritual son, Timothy, Paul exhorts Tim, starting in verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world, in other words, those who have more than they need, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. And that they should do good, that they should be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. In other words, to lay up treasures in heaven. But then Paul concludes his warning to Timothy with a verse that's especially relevant to us today. O oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to your trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings, and oppositions of science, in the King James version, e. v., uh, English standard says knowledge, same thing. Falsely so called, which some professing er, some professing have erred concerning the faith. In other words, things of faith they call knowledge or science. When Christians become distracted by experts or any contemporary worldview that raises doubts about the biblical account, what we're following are people with an ungodly agenda acting on a faith of their own making who cannot answer the first questions of life. Now, by any honest objective standard, is that not a fool's errand? The point in this discussion is that if you choose the view that God put us here, then there should never be a day that we fail to thank God for this life, this temporal life, and all we need, all the basics, food, clothing, shelter, whatever, to sustain it. The focus should rather be on thankfulness than worry about these things. Jesus sums up his argument in verse 30 with, O ye of little faith. The term little faith here refers to our failure to understand and comprehend the biblical view of life as it is to be lived in this world. We simply do not think as we should, because, either because of distractions or because we fail to come to the right conclusion in order to grasp and understand this very basic and inescapable truth. A God-initiated existence as opposed to a purposeless, directionless, accidental one presumes purpose and intentionality. If God himself who gives us life in that body in which we live, he does this for specific purposes in each life. He did that. If he did that, then we can draw the conclusion that he would not do that and then have his purposes frustrated due to our death or lack of provision. Therefore, a God-initiated existence is a God-sustained existence. Whatever God starts, whatever he's purposed, he fulfills. This takes us to the conclusion that God has a purpose for every life he creates. That means you and I must stand on the promise that we should take no thought, worry or be anxious for our survival, whether we don't know how the bills are going to be paid or we're at sea in a storm. Yeah, we are all tempted to worry, but we should not conclude that simply because worry is common among mankind that worry is a good or even a necessary thing. According to Jesus, it is a sign, a warning of little faith. And if we can get this right perspective, that he is faithful even when we're not. We can trust in him, we will have a much better quality of life. If you're not worrying, you're a lot better off. But even if your lives are beset with trials and tribulations, suffering and disaster, you can take solace in the fact that it is God's plan and glory. You just have to keep your focus on him, and he will have it no other way. So, in some weird, strange sense, Alfred got it right. What? Me worried? Uh, Some of you have asked about my trip to Haiti, and I don't have time to do anything much at all today, but I wanted to mention at least one thing that may have some relevancy here. All right. If you thought it was crazy to talk to poor Haitians about money and treasure, how about giving a message on faith in suffering to people whose country was destroyed a few years ago by an earthquake and, and uh, who suffered a hurricane just two weeks before the message was given? That would be me. All right? Uh, but the topic here concerns the sovereignty of God, which in turn involves God's plan which is bigger than any of us and may involve suffering or worse for faithful believers. We see this in the experience of Job and Joseph with his good brothers and the Apostle Paul. That God does not cause evil, however, he allows evil when it suits his purpose. He allows suffering. And if he can allow the loss of all possessions and all your kids, uh, betrayal by your loved ones, false imprisonment, and an ailment that will not go away, then he can certainly allow us to go without earthly things, maybe even basic needs, if that suits his purpose and plan. Now, going back to 80, when that kind of teaching is delivered to those who have so much less and they know the teacher has so much more awaiting him back home. And they accept it gladly. That is a humbling experience. If you and I were in their circumstances, we would be sorely tempted to take thought. Thanksgiving, uh, my family delivered meals to... Topekans in some of the poorest sections of town, and every home included conveniences not known by the Haitians. These pastors and their folks live this out day in, day out. It is life for them. So if you struggle with contentment or with worry about earthly concerns, go to a place like Haiti. Uh, Let's just say it will reorient you. It will change your worry into thankfulness like nothing else. And this is what we're trying to grasp today. It is the sovereignty of God that we question when we worry. The saints mentioned in Hebrews 11 understood this. It says there, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, But having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were simply pilgrims and exiles on this earth, just passing through. They had confidence that because God brought them into existence that he had a purpose for each of them. Whatever their circumstances, he would not leave them nor forsake them. They knew that he would lead them through this journey of life until their purpose was fulfilled. They knew ultimately he would then receive them to spend eternity in his glorious presence. So if we start with first principles, that God gave us life for a purpose, then we can think through this and draw the logical conclusion that he will provide all we need and our worry should disappear and we can walk with peace and thankfulness with him. Father in heaven, You are a great and loving God. Help us to know that you have and will give us all we need as long as you have a purpose for us to be here. And help us to experience today, as we take the Lord's table later, the tremendous and unfathomable gift of Jesus Christ so that we might spend eternity with you. Lord God, there can be no greater, no more magnificent, no more loving Father than you. And all praise goes to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.